Hola, hello, hi, bienvenido, and welcome back, or welcome to Mentors Today, season two. Ile, como estas, mi amiga? How is life in Guadalajara? Hola, Rob. Hi, everybody. Awesome, but a little bit rainy. So uh-huh. these past days have been a little bit of chaos in the in the streets. But <laughs> besides that, it's a great season, the start of the summer. So everybody's super happy and yeah. joyful to go out. There's a lot of big announcements and big company success stories happening lately. Yeah, there's has been a lot happening, especially in Mexico, where I'm I'm based. In general, I think it's it's a great season for Latin America and everybody's starting to look uh, to look here uh, and to believe more in what the Latin American entrepreneurs are doing sí. in order to invest. Sí, I think there is there an Espanol word for unicorn? Unicorno? I don't know. <laughs> Unicornio, sí. sí. There we go. Okay, so that's what we're doing. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. So we are joined by Jessica Bedoya. Jessica is the chief of staff an executive advisor to the president of the Inter-American Development Bank. She was appointed as the chief of staff and executive advisor to the Office of the Presidency back in October of 2020, so in the midst of the pandemic. She brings to the job extensive policymaking and leadership experience focused on Latino America and the Caribbean. Prior to that, she served in a role as the managing director for the Western Hemisphere and senior advisor to the CEO of the U.S. International Development Finance Corporation, DFC. During her time there, she led business development in Latino America and the Caribbean. Jessica also, prior to that, served as a deputy senior director for Western Hemisphere Affairs for the National Security Council, which for those not in Estados Unidos, it's a role that's attached to our political system and our executive branch of government, working focused on Central America and the Caribbean, as well as director for the Andes and Venezuela. She has served in a prior life at the U.S. Embassy in Bogota and has worked in Haiti and the Eastern Caribbean. So, Jessica... (laughs) Welcome, mi amiga. It is so exciting to have you here. Bienvenido to Mentors Today. Thank you for having me. Muchas gracias por la invitación. Super happy to have you here. And tell me, where are you from? I noticed a very well-speaking Spanish in your voice. So I am a proud first-generation American of a Colombian and Ecuadorian mother. Wow. Um, Yes, I'm a perfect blend. So you learned since you were little Spanish, it was like your mother language, no? Yes, actually, Spanish was the very first language I learned. I only spoke Spanish for the first three years, four years of my life until I went to preschool. I was born in Chicago. My parents met here in the United States um, in a very odd story. My dad went for surgery. My mom was his nurse and they fell in love. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. Okay. This is getting this is better already. Now, now we, ha- we, we, we will have to do another episode just for that story. <laughs> I know. So I grew up speaking Spanish until I went to preschool in Chicago. And then I started learning English very slowly. And actually, it's really funny. My mom used to record me speaking English when I was little just to help me learn the language. And list, I used to listen to those as I got older with her and I would chuckle because it was such an evolution of, you know, trying to learn pronunciations. And there's certain colloquialisms, American colloquialisms that I still don't know, um, which okay. is sort of a legacy of my linguistic heritage, I suppose. I just figured out that you and I are both from Chicago. Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness look at the small the world is small and right? that's what i love about it we would like to start this conversation in case some of our listeners do not understand what 
IDBEs or what is their role in Latin America. Uh, could you share with us what is the description and what is beyond that we can read only in the website? Sure. So I'm, I'm glad you asked me that as the first question because as part of a new administration with an amazing executive team, we are a development bank for the Americas. But beyond that, we want to be creative and innovative problem solvers. So we have a public sector side, which is the bank. We work with governments. We finance government projects. We work with uh, gov local governments as well across the region to develop your traditional development programs and projects using the traditional development tools. But we have an, an innovative private sector side of IDB Invest, which is a private sector, as we call it, the arm of the IDB, which focuses on development finance structured finance projects. We work with small, medium, and large enterprises, and we finance the gamut and the spectrum of sectors that we can talk about a little later. We also have, and we're the only multi-lab to have an innovation laboratory called IDB Lab, and that is our equivalent of the venture capital world, where we provide seed capital and seed money to very small startups. We've actually successfully had several of them become unicorns in the last few months. So that's our innovation lab where we can use smaller amounts of financing to have greater impact. So that's the IDB in a nutshell with a strategic goal of a very ambitious president who has laid out Vision 2025, which I'll get into later, but it's a very strategic vision for the next five years of prioritizing sectors, prioritizing methods of investment, so we can bring growth to the region. Thank you. Wow. That was an <laughs> no, awesomely specific description. I'm going to jump ahead and give you a chance to speak specifically to something you mentioned. So with this recent kind of ascent or explosion of private capital or venture capital um, into Latin America in particular, I'm really curious, and I'll give you a specific example, right? So I, I spend a lot of time in my business um, interacting with VCs and entrepreneurial economy stakeholders all over the region. Um, and helping them to do what they're trying to do better. But of, of recent, literally months, uh, they owe their success and upside for many of their young early stage startups to SoftBank, right? And the fact that SoftBank has come into the market at such an extraordinary level with so much capital. And so I would love to hear your perspective on that relationship. How do you relate to the private capital community? How might you relate to or collaborate specifically with someone with a group like SoftBank? Um, I well, think I mean, I, I love the question because actually this week as part of our two-day Lack Week tech event, we actually met with SoftBank. They're one of our biggest partners um, in the VC world. And we're trying to find ways to work more collaboratively with them in countries and certain sectors and spaces that perhaps we alone could not venture. And so to your point, SoftBank has played a huge role. We speak with them very regularly. We partner with them across the region. And I would say that as part of our innovation laboratory, we're already partners with over 90 VCs in the region. And we wow. want to grow that. We want to be aggressive. Um, I think that as we, as a, as a team that's come in with some objective eyes looking at the work that's been done, there's a lot of room to have really great conversations with even more partners. Um, I think a lot of what we've seen is an appetite for investment, but perhaps not an awareness of how to get people connected. And so part of the, the leadership team decision-making that we, we did at the outset uh, in October of last year is, okay, what can we do to bring people around the table? And what we've really done is try to bring the private sector, the VCs in particular, through IDB Lab around the table with us on, on 
anything on a range of tools, on a range of financing challenges, uh, environments in terms of investment, how can we help and how can we partner? Because a lot of this is we can't work in silos. So IDB Lab can provide the venture, the, the seed capital to VCs. We can develop those relationships. But if they're encountering challenges in their environments, in, in terms of the business climate, the investment climate, our public sector side can step in and work hand in hand as well. And we're trying to build those synergies because what we've seen is that there's a lot of direct work that's been done in terms of financing, but there's a holistic approach to make all of this sustainable. If you want to make it sustainable for, for VCs to work in countries to continue getting investments to grow, they have to have the proper environments. And so mm-hmm. we're trying to take a different spin to this, this problem and the issues and the appetite as well so that we're providing a whole of picture of what we're seeing in the region and how we can be partners hand in hand. SoftBank's aggressive and they're great. And they're, yeah, they that's are, a, that's, a, that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, they are aggressive. And, and when we spoke with them, we, you know, at the outset, just in terms of meeting and getting a sense of their priorities, our, our, you know, our view was we need to take more risks as well. So if, but we, if we have partners like we, like they uh, are willing to go into make investments go into sectors we're willing to do it too because this is the time we need to take advantage of the opportunity it's we need to strike while the iron is hot do me a favor you touched on something in your opening and maybe it would help us expand this conversation a bit share this vision 2025 so vision 2025 um is a very concise approach at what we're seeing in the region which is the tragedy of COVID 19. while everyone's talking about the devastating impact we're trying to look at what are those opportunities because part of the feedback that we've been hearing both from U.S. investors and other international investors is we want to help, we just don't know how. Vision 2025 outlines where we, the Interurbic and Development Bank, wants to focus on, and it has five pillars. Enterprises, nearshoring, so the movement of global value chain to the Western Hemisphere and seeing how to create new markets. Digitalization, a focus on women, in terms of access to finance and credit, but also creating spaces to make it safer for women to operate businesses, to formalize employment, and also focus on climate change, because that's that's a huge issue for us that we're seeing a lot of countries grapple and not have the capacity, technical or financing to deal with that, because that also affects their ability for job growth and industries and development. This Vision 2025 has become for us sort of the the guiding principles of what at we as a whole institution, public sector and private sector, want to achieve in the region. And we've been really aggressively trying to see how we can work with governments, work with private sector, which is the anchor of the solutions as we see it. We, think we see the private sector and getting private sector investment and involvement as critical. They need to be at the table, including with governments. You can't have stakeholders working in a dispersed way. We have to bring them together. So Vision 2025 is that model that we're using. We're talking about it. And it seems like very aspirational goals, but they're very tangible. And what we want to do is make sure that what we're doing has tangible, concrete, visible results. Yeah. Not a, not just a policymaking body or just, a, or just a, a massive yeah. global NGO kind of thing. Correct. And also, it's, it's a way to better steer our own portfolio. So it's a way to prioritize, because if you prioritize everything, and that's something we learned coming into the institution, 
you can prioritize investment everywhere and you're not going to see a lot of impact. But if you start to hone in on priorities for investment, on priorities for a conversation to bring people around the table, to talk about what needs to be done in countries, what needs to be done in certain sectors um, to bring about growth and recovery from COVID, we need to have some guiding principles for that. And so I think it's really, it's been very helpful for us. And I think it's been helpful for our clients um, both government uh, shareholding member states as well as private sectors and those new new and clients that we're looking to attract uh, people who are willing to come and work with us, partner with us on the private sector side, understand that we're we're trying to find pathways to solutions that also has a development impact. Um, and it, it needs to be clear and and very precise. So I, I think it's been really beneficial for us to promote the, the agenda. We have a lot more work to do. Um, like I said, you know, we're, we're starting to get out there uh, physically. Uh, like I said, we're in Miami this week. We're testing hybrid models of participation in forums. Um, so we get conversations um, and start, and we're seeing the interest spark. We have talked about the opportunities, but what do you think are, or what are your big fears or concerns about uh, the entrepreneurial economy and uh, over the next five to 10 years? COVID, I think, has taught, has turned the world upside down. And what we're seeing in the region are numbers of unemployment that are staggering mm -hmm. and a complete reversal of 25 years of economic growth and progress. So what, are, what do we see now is an opportunity that we need to take advantage of now in terms of SME financing and support. And what I, when we talk about support, we're looking at it in two ways. One is strict financing, which, as I explained before, IDB Invest does with development banks in the region, directly with private sector companies. Through IDB Lab, we do it directly through VCs um, and, and early startups. But we need to also provide an environment where SMEs can grow, where the concept of formal employment is not just a luxury, it's the way of doing business. And that's where we're seeing we can have great impact in terms of promoting that agenda with governments, working to ensure that regulatory reforms are made to facilitate cre the creation of businesses, to make sure, like I said earlier, making sure that the right people are sitting at the table so people know who to reach out to to get financing. We're also working a lot in terms of educating people on how to get credit and financing. I think there's a lot of work there that needs to be done that could have a lot of impact uh, in terms of improving the access to credit and, and the ability for SMEs to grow and be sustainable. I think that in, in the next five to 10 years, if we don't bring investors in, if we don't improve the business climate, if we don't act fast now, to identify as many startups as possible that we could finance and we could hold their hand along the way and work with governments and actively promote better business practices, better regulatory reforms to facilitate the creation of businesses. If we don't do that now, it's in five to 10 years, we will have even greater numbers of unemployment, even greater percentages. We're almost at 70% of informal mm -hmm. labor. We're going to yeah. continue to see those patterns worsen. Because no, now, now is the interest. Now is the interest. Now people want to know what does recovery look like. So yeah, we need to no. use that moment. Hundred percent. I, I we we're just meeting each other through the show. I've spent the last five years living forty-five to forty-seven weeks a year in the top thirty different cities of Latin America, trying to build our business and building the relationships that are the kind of the fabric behind what I call the entrepreneurial economy. And I've been saying since 20, 
end of 2017, early 2018, right? That the window between 2020, and I didn't anticipate the pandemic like everybody, right? But that the window between 2020 and 2030 was when Latin America was either going to collectively break out of its cycle, not all, sure. uni not uniformly all at the same time, right? There's 33, yeah. country, 33 countries that make up the region with all kinds of different subcultures and context. But I, I've, I've looked at this window and thought that this was the time. So that's that's fascinating. To and it is, and and it's digitalization. And so here's what I've been saying, and you you guys can correct me, but as I view the region, we need to take advantage of two things: women and digitalization, and combine them because women are the engines of growth. And we need yeah. to take advantage of the fact that in Latin America, in particular, and I don't want to be well, I'm going to be blunt, but in Latin America, in particular, women are the workforce you can be and, blunt yeah you can totally. be blunt you can you can, <laughs> okay. you can even you can even cuss if you want to like that's the and, beauty of, um, of having yeah. our own show so women are <laughs> and have always been the driving force of economies women are the most responsible in terms of financing in terms of paying back loans they're the ones that deliver and as I look at it, and, and I'm not saying this because I'm a, I'm a woman from the region, but I think there has been a, a, an extreme undervalue placed on the, la the female labor force in the region. And I say that having experienced, even in my current role, male-dominated meetings where I'm the only woman at the table, even today. And to me, I think this reflects a real problem. If people don't see women as an opportunity to really take the economy to a different level, we're going to lose out. And digitalization, everyone's talking about it. Our president mentions the three teles, teletrabajo, teleducación, telesalud. But for me, technology is about also providing women the space so that they can be, they can be skilled up. So that they can have training, so that they can have the, the technical capacity and know-how to be able to get themselves off the ground. I lived yeah. in the region just like all of just like both of you. And I used to see women working day sun up to sundown mm -hmm. informally with no benefits, just because that's what they have to do from one job to the next job to the next job. Why is that happening? Why can't we bring them? the support that they need. And I was actually just in Ecuador and I mentioned this in a conversation with the president of Ecuador that more work needs to be done to give women the opportunity. What does that mean? Social services like childcare. Like, and this goes back to traditional development concepts. Can we, can we please give women the tools and access to the services to allow them to ed get educated, to get the training and to get access to credit in that sequence. Awesome. Uh, you're going to, I'm, I'm literally going to read something to you that I tweeted this morning because I think you're going to love it in the context of what you just said. I, I tweeted out early this morning. I was feeling a little spunky this morning when I woke up uh, and I said, reality check. Every investor here on Twitter could start only investing in women, people of color and marginalized founders today. And every white privileged guy would still be able to raise their money without much trouble. My point my point, now is not the time for gradual rebalancing. Now is the no. time for radical moves. The dudes won't miss your money. Correct. I love it. And I love that. And I embrace it. And 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 I I will say this very honestly. I get offended when I'm the only woman in the room. And I, and I when I travel to the region, 
I've had moments and I'm a pretty tough chick, but I've had moments where I say to myself, wow, if I lived in this region and you, I don't know, you could tell me more really tough for me to swallow this pill day in and day out. Yeah. It's a, it's had something that you live every day and it, sometimes you stop questioning. It's like, it's just the normal way that things are happening now. But it's important to keep on questioning and, and doing like open these uh, spaces to visualize and amplify that there's a need of a voice of a variety of voices in, in the table, not only only the, the same ones that always participate here. And and now that, that you that, that you open this 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 subject and knowing your background and all that you have done. I want to know uh, what had been your the biggest challenges for you to came to came in and be here with with the with this important role that you have now. Challenges many. I was fortunate enough to grow up in a household with a really strong mom who was a professional who taught me that tenacity and hard work and studiousness gets you further than anything else. And she she primed me for because I had known since I was very young, kind of what my professional passions were. I knew what I loved and I knew it was going to be a tough journey. And she told me early on, you just have to keep moving. And if you're the only, and you know, if you're the only minority in the room, own it. If you're the only Spanish speaker, own it, own who you are in your identity, never hide from it, never be shy about it. And I think that that mindset helped me because it's been tough being the only woman in the room or the only minority in the room. And it's been tough to hold my own. But I think that all of those challenges helped shape my views where I can sit here today and tell you publicly, I'm super offended when I'm the only woman in the room in meetings and I'm tasked with working on key important issues for development in the region. So how can I do that if I'm the only woman here and I, you know, women are 50% of the population. Coming into an institution, by the way, that I'm very passionate about. I'm passionate about the mission. One of the biggest challenges that I had was that I was the first female chief of staff and wow. no one no one took me seriously. I think everyone has learned through experience and engaging with me that I that I have credentials and there's a reason I am where I am. But that this these nine months were a tough learning curve for me because it was the first time in my life. And I say this to all of my colleagues. Stepping into the role at the Inter-American Development Bank for me was like coming home. It was the perfect blend of my entire career, the last 20 years of my life. But it was a challenge because I stepped into a culture where women don't sit at the table and, and they don't you make the decision. You, you truly came home, like in the broad right. sense, right? I mean, you came, exactly. you came back to the, re even although, again, born in Chicago, but you came at this in this role from what you're sharing with us in your background that we've studied, like you literally came home, home, like to the home place of your parents, to the place of yeah. the origin and to the place that you're trying. And that is now the place that you're also trying to change and make better. Correct. And, and with that, while that sounds super aspirational, it's like, yay, I get to go home again to fix and make it better. The truth is you walked into all the biases and the patriarchy and the problems that Ile lives in 
every day, all day, even though she gets to talk to me here in LA and like kind of pretend to live an American life from afar. She doesn't. She never gets to take off that uniform. This is the kind of stories that we need to listen and to promote so more women know that it's possible to be part of the table. Thanks for sharing with us your thoughts because it's exactly what we need to change. Thank you. And I, I hope so. And I, and I, I was never one to be passionate about work because it's a platform, but being at, at the at the bank now, I felt it was sort of a celestial divine intervention moment for me because I am now seeing it and I'm living the challenges every day. And I, I came back from a work trip recently. I was in Brazil and Ecuador and I came back, I don't want to say infuriated, motivated, angrily motivated because... I said to myself, I now understand for the first time in my life, because I was privileged and grew up in an American society that mm -hmm. is actually, we have our own troubles in this country as women, but I now for know firsthand what the challenges are for women in the region. And this needs to change now. And so I came back even more driven to uh, figure out how do we do this. Urgency is the, is the energy that I feel every day. My moment, Jessica, was... People often ask, like, how did you, this old, you know, 53-year-old gringo guy, like, how did you wind up in Latam? And why are you building growth hacks to bridge entrepreneurial economies in the Americas? And like, why Latam? Like, you don't even speak Spanish. Like, what are you doing? My now partner, he sent me a DM back in 2015 when I was tweeting something about entrepreneurial stuff. And yeah. he said, I really love what you, what you do. Would you like to come down to Tijuana and give some speeches to some entrepreneurs? Your government and our local government actually work together to facilitate this and we could bring you down. And I was like, sure. I said, but what do you mean like entrepreneurship in Tijuana? I, at that point, had become, in spite of my uh, ex-esposa being from Ciudad de Mexico and my daughter being half gringa, half Mexicana, like by that point, 20 some odd years later, I had become just the typical middle-aged Southern California white guy. Right. And yeah. so I thought of Tijuana yeah. as that place across the border. And I went down there, Jessica, and to shrink this story down for time, I, I gave three speeches, one of which was to a room full of 500 engineering students at a university in Tijuana talking about entrepreneurship. And as I looked out on this room, my daughter was not far off of them in age at that time, just about to graduate from Berkeley. And I looked and I thought to myself, 70% of these people, these engineering students are women that I'm staring at. These are girls. These are my daughters. They're thirsty for somebody to help them understand how they can build their future, how they can take their talents and build new technologies and new softwares and build solutions to the real world problems that they face every day, trying to traverse the streets of Mexico. And I went back to the hotel and I was sitting there by myself for the first moment in about three days. And I literally just cried at the hotel bar thinking, one, how did I become that person? that had lost touch with like my neighbors and what was going on around me. And then two, suddenly urgently motivated to do something about it. And in that moment, I knew as exaggerated as it sounds, I knew that the, the directional purpose of what I thought I was building at Growth Hacks needed to shift because as I say it, the khaki pants, vest wearing guys in Silicon Valley don't need another Rob Ryan because I'm not one of them. I'm an outsider. Right? right, but but if right. I could take my 33 years of experience in business and for startups down to Latino America, like maybe that's where they really needed the help, yeah. and it be, and it became missional and not mercenary anymore. So I, I can completely empathize with that sense of infuriation or urgency that you feel. Understanding and appreciating the political and economic realities of what's going on in Latin today and like over the next couple of years, whether it be 
you know, the current presidency and administration in Mexico, or it be the financial crisis and the political challenges in Argentina, or it's the new now administration in Peru, or the about to be new constitution and administration that'll be incoming in 2022 in Chile. And like with all of that going on, how does IDB cut through that in such a way that can actually make a sustainable difference in the lives of entrepreneurs and business people and financiers? How do we cut through all that constant upheaval? By sticking to our guiding principles and remaining apolitical and an honest broker. What I've learned coming from government and a policymaking experience is that here at, at this institution, we are actually even more powerful than as a policymaker. Why? Because we're completely apolitical. Our mission is not the stability of governments. It's, it's economic growth. It's sustainable development. It's the people. And, and actually, these are conversations. I welcome the question because a lot of our teams, I've been having a lot of these conversations with our leaders. Um, just as over, oh, just to give you some context, we have representatives in 26, uh, in the, our 26 countries uh, in the region. And so we are have that touch point with governments directly hand in hand. But I've been receiving a lot of questions. How do we deal with this new incoming administration? How do we manage this relationship? And my feedback to them is we, we stay the course. We have development objectives that are clear. We have to work with governments who have shifting priorities. That is correct. We have to, we, we don't impose on governments. We ask governments to work hand in hand with us to develop priority objectives. But bottom line is we are there to help provide the support so that the people, the communities have access to what they need when the governments can't. And that's not a demonstration of a government failure to do anything. It's that governments can't do it all. So come to the IDB, rely on us. We're an honest broker. We can bring people to the table that other people can't. We can look at problems in an objective way and say, this is, this is the, these are the potential results depending on the pathways that you choose. And we want to be able to advise and help work and guide governments to achieve their goals, which is always, let's try to help our communities. How do you, how can you help us grow? Because a lot of governments literally leave the question open-ended where they talk to our representatives in these countries and they say, how can you help us? And, and I welcome it because then if you're saying that, let me give you some ideas and let's start developing them. So yeah. a, a lot of the political intrigue that, is Latin America, and I and I love it, or else I wouldn't be here. <laughs> I, I must love it in some it's, weird it's, way. It's like a great telenovela. If you love geopolitics, it's like a great telenovela. <laughs> I must love it. And I will say, the, the geopolitics touches us, right, because we have a board of executive directors, and Dude. those political messages come to us, and we get them every day. But, you know, there's a certain level of diplomacy, and then after that, when you cut through that, it's and how you cut through that is by staying the course on our ultimate mission at the institution, sure. which is development. What do you think can does IBD can play here? Well, there in the United States uh, to enable the American investors or corporates or entrepreneurs to expand their business into Latin America and start to look them as an opportunity. You know, like I said, I just spent the last week in Miami here for our, a two-day Miami Lac Tech. Uh, event week, which I think has had demonstrated to us, and it was important for us to be here and to hear directly from entrepreneurs, to speak with SoftBank, to talk to uh, investors who are interested in moving in the region, but maybe might be a little gun shy. 
that they're actually eager. They're very, very hungry to work with us in terms of building, as you said, a bridge, because we have a know-how and expertise and with that objective, honest broker rule can help hold the hand of entrepreneurs and investors here, see how we can bring them to the region. A lot of the hesitation is because of a lack of investor confidence. And, and we see it and we have to be honest about it. There's a lot of countries that are ripe for investment opportunities, but the climates are just not ready. They're not. And governments don't want to hear those messages. Um, but it, those are hard facts that we have to live with every day because it's our job to see how we can help improve them. But there's a lot of U.S. businesses that since uh, the new president joined the bank, since our team joined the bank that have been calling on us looking for help. Where can we go in the region? What your mapping of the region? What trends are you seeing? What sectors are you seeing as ripe opportunities? And we've been sharing information willingly and openly. In February, we announced a whole partnership with 40 private sector organizations and entities and businesses who we are now working hand in hand uh, on the five pillars of Vision 2025 to see how we can be a multiplier effect for investment opportunities. I think that what we're seeing is, like I said, everyone understands that now is the time to invest. But I think what the role that we can play is now being able to provide the expertise and the know-how and the on-the-ground touch point of what are we seeing in these countries that can help these investors open new doors or maybe walk through doors that are already open but they may not know about it and we're hearing about it. And we need to bring those people together. I think the, the results of our LAC Tech Week event where we've had over 67,000 tune in to our virtual panels, We've had, we had matchmaking exercises with over 880 participants and almost $34 million in terms of business deals. I think that demonstrates it's a huge potential and a huge interest of, of fighting that apple in the region of opportunity. And I think by doing things like Lack Tech, bringing people together, having the conversations where we educate them on the services we can provide and how we as, as a private sector entity as well are looking at investment and risk. I think that's going to be part of this whole process of bridging that gap and bringing people to the region. And our president has been very clear. He, his role right now is building the confidence in the IDB as an institution, as, as a source of knowledge, and then building that confidence in the region. And that's what we're here to do. Awesome. Well, I think this uh, is important. Like, it's great to to match with the next section of the of the show where you can you can be the mentor of the day and mm -hmm. so we ask all our guests to to give us like three three advices for entrepreneurs or investors that are listening to us and ex and exclusively for in this case can you share with us uh, what could it be for executives in the Americas executives in the Americas open the doors to women urgently boom there's um, it drop the mic that's it there's the there's the address the <laughs> and that's all that's all i have to say about that <laughs> awesome open the doors to women because guess what there's an empty seat at the table and i bet that that opinion can alter the course of business revenue generation and idea generation that's awesome literally like open the, that so open the door and then the second piece of advice get out of the way and then the and third piece of, of advice just follow their guidance and always listen. Oh, that's awesome. Always Jessica, listen. we can't, we can't, uh, we can't thank you enough. Uh, it's been terrific to get to know you uh, and us get to know each other through this forum here. 
Um, I can tell you, you know, our, our guest, our audience uh, is made up of, of entrepreneurs, founders, investors, aspiring entrepreneurs, student entrepreneurs, uh, you know, executives and corporates, uh, NGO folks that run those, government leaders all throughout Latin America and now growingly so here in the U.S. And so to hear your voice, I think, as Ile said, wow, your personal story is muy increíble. Um, it's just awesome to hear. But yeah. but but to hear the message about what the what the IDB is here to do and how and how kind of committed to maybe a, I'm, I'm impressed, like a much more tactical on the ground kind of working type of partner as opposed to this like high in the sky policy making uh, entity. That's that's exciting for, for me. I'm betting my literal last next 30 years of my life on the future and building this bridge in the Americas. And I'm betting, frankly, on people like Ileana every day. Um, so it's exciting to hear that, that you, your team is as committed to what we're trying to do. Really cool. Awesome to meet you. Thank yeah. you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Jessica. And before we leave, can you give, can you please, uh, tell us where we can find you in social media? Yes. I, I'm brand new to social media. <laughs> really? You're a liar. I am. I, <laughs> am possible. I know. I know. I am a newbie to social media. I only just opened a Twitter account, Jessica L. Bedoya. Um, and I don't know anything about handles. I don't know anything about hashtags. I'm a brand new student of social media. And I went live about two months ago. Wow. Welcome. Welcome yeah, to, that's that, cool. to this side of the world. And, no and worries. I, I only retweet everything and don't really write <laughs> a lot. But that's my strategy to participate in that world. But <laughs> yeah, you're more than welcome. And, and you know what? It's actually, it, it was really frightening. A really frightening experience. But I'm loving it because I can get a message out there. Exactly. It's, yeah. just, it's, it's twofold. It's an incredibly powerful broadcasting tool which is a lot of what I use it for, but on the other end of it, boy, it is the, the great democratization of access. Right? So access I, you, you know, young, talented Latinas all over the region can have something to say and they can now literally find you there and say it directly to you. And that's, you can't, you can't, you can't buy that. No, you can't beat it. And I've got some amazing messages too. So I feel, I feel in a, every day that passes, I feel even more emboldened and I'm really appreciative that I'm now on social media. It's a brand new world for me, but I think it's really great. Awesome. So again, thank you again. It's wonderful. Have a great Friday night uh, and go Cubs. Thanks. Yes. Go Cubs. I hope that you <laughs> enjoy the game. Yeah, you too. Enjoy the weekend. Thanks so much, guys.